It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, welcome to the last episode of our Storyline of Scripture series. Uh, We've been walking through this little series, kind of giving a 50,000-foot view of all of Scripture, just kind of looking at the major sections of Scripture and how they all focus on Jesus Christ. Again, everything in the Old Testament leads to the wonderful reality of Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross, and everything in the New Testament flows from that incredible truth. Now, as we've been walking through this series, we're on number seven, we've been looking at the different aspects of the kingdom. The king has given us a kingdom. The king has come And as we talked about last time, he gave us this incredible mission that we're right in the middle of. And I said this at the end of the last episode, but I really love the fact that we are right in the middle of this thing. In other words, we are are in this season before the king has come and we are living in the middle of biblical history, that there are still things in scripture that have yet to be fulfilled. And yet we are living here in this anticipatory moment of the king's mission. You and I have the privilege to proclaim the grand reality of Jesus Christ. Well, in this particular episode, I want to talk about the king's return. The king is returning and he is coming soon. Uh, We are told that there is a groan within all of creation. In fact, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was uh, subjected to futility, not unwillingly, sorry, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. See, we are not the only ones longing for the return of Christ. All of creation has a groan and an anticipation for this redemptive restoration that is still to come. Now, when we often think of the return of Jesus, we often think of the book of Revelation. Now, we know that there's a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that point to his return as well, but Revelation is often the first one we come to. When you look at the book of Revelation, which I just want to highlight really quick, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus. And maybe this is just a little pet peeve of mine, but when someone says the book of Revelation, it's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. And the reason is, is the whole book is one revelation. It has one focus. It has one thrust. And John tells us in chapter one, that the whole focus of the revelation is Jesus himself. And what is actually really neat about the book of Revelation is that it is the only book in scripture that contains a blessing, a promise, or a promise, a blessing, if you read it. Look at this. This is Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Paul records, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. That word for reads uh, in the Greek is anagonosko. And what's interesting is that uh, if you've hung around with me hardly at all, Uh, you know that one of my favorite Greek words is the word gnosko. It's this idea of knowing something through experience or relationship. It's it's an experiential kind of knowing. Uh, There's another word for knowledge, and it's this idea of, uh, it's the word oida. It's this idea of perception or understanding. 
Uh, both of that, when you put the ana in front of it, is a that conjunction makes that word reading. In other words, you can read because you're knowing something through the eyes, if that makes sense. So of the two words that can mean reading, one is ana oida, one is ana gnosko. And I love the fact that in scripture, when it talks about reading, it often uses the word anagonosko. So think about this in light of the book of Revelation. It's not a, oh, I see it. I perceive the words because I've read them. Rather, what John is saying is there's a blessing in this book if you read it. Not that you see the words and you've you know just kind of taken it into your mind. It's that you've experienced this incredible reality of the book because the book is focused on Jesus. So just maybe summarize, the book of Revelation is incredible because, again, the whole focus of the book, it's not scary, It yet we've turned it into a lot of things in our modern day. And there's a lot of eschatology, scary, crazy stuff that's going around. And we're looking at this thing going, oh no, what about the, what about the, what about the? But John says, do you know what the book of Revelation is all about? It actually is supposed to bring a comfort and a hope to our lives because it is a revelation of Jesus and he wins. That is so phenomenal. And John says, there is a blessing that happens when you get into this book and not just read the words, but you begin to experience the depth and the reality of this book. Now, I think one of the reasons there is a blessing to the book of Revelation is that out of the 400-ish verses that are contained in this book, over 800 times, there is a point back to the Old Testament. In other words, as you get into the book of Revelation, you cannot properly understand the book of Revelation without first understanding the Old Testament. It is constantly using imagery and hearkening back to the language of the Old Testament. So if you're going to do a proper understanding of the book of Revelation, you're going to have to know the entirety of your word. You're going to have to do a whole Bible study just to get a full understanding of the book of Revelation. And I think that's actually one of the reasons there's a blessing, not just because it's a focus of Jesus. I think that's the primary blessing, but also because you have to know all of Scripture. You have to utilize all of Scripture to really understand the book of Revelation. But again, the emphasis I want you to grab a hold of is that Revelation, the end time stuff, the fact that he is returning is not some scary thing that may be coming in the future. The reality is, is we're talking about the king. We're talking about the fact that he is returning. And that should be such triumphant, glorious, hopeful news for our souls. So let me just give you a couple of ideas out of this idea of the fact that Jesus is returning and he's returning soon. One of them is this idea that we should be living in light of his return. That you and I, the way that we live, should be living in the fact that we know that he's returning soon. If I knew that Jesus could return in the next hour, how would I live? If, if it would change the manner or the disposition of how I would live, that's probably a bad sign of how I'm living. If I wouldn't say certain things, if I wouldn't watch certain things, if I wouldn't do certain things because I know that he's returning in an hour, well, then I probably just shouldn't do those things. See, what if we would always live in light of his imminent return? The fact that he could return this very moment. See, if we had that expectancy, oh, Lord, come, that would actually change how we live. Uh, Lynn Ravenhill used to quote Jonathan Edwards And that idea was God stamp eternity on my eyeball. Let let me live in light of eternity. Lord, Lord, let me live in the fact of the eternal reality, not just this temporal one. See, if I was living in the light of the return of Christ, it would actually 
help me leverage every moment for the sake of the kingdom, not just the selfish whims of Nathan. There's a great verse in Revelation 22, verse 17. It says that the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. That idea of come, Lord Jesus, is the word Maranatha. Well, when you say the word Maranatha, it just means, oh, Lord, come, or come, Lord Jesus. That there should be a groan. There, for 2,000 years, has been a groan, a prayer, that the Spirit of God has been praying along with the church. And then an odd thought, that the Spirit of God has been praying something for 2,000 years, and yet it is still not answered. The church has been groaning for 2,000 years with a prayer, and yet it is still not answered. But it will be. Well, what's the prayer? Maranatha, Lord, come, come quickly. Can I encourage you to have that kind of a prayer in your heart? To have this longing in your soul that's just constantly saying, Lord, I am anticipating. Lord, I am longing. Lord, I, I am making myself ready for your return. In fact, a lot of scripture in the New Testament exhorts us to live in light of his imminent return. Uh, For example, in Titus, Titus chapter 2, Paul says this to the young minister Titus. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, hey, we're living in a crazy time. Now, if he said that back 2,000 years ago, What would he say today? But he says, there is a way that you and I ought to live. That regardless of where culture goes, regardless of the consuming darkness, that that you and I, he says, should deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And that is still true for today. Uh, John tells us in 1 John 2, verse 15 through 18, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. Again, if John could say that 2,000 years ago, children, it's the last hour. Hey, beware, be prepared. Hey, do not love the things of this world. Love the things of God. Well, how much more should we take that to heart in the days in which we live? Peter said it this way, and I love this passage. I read it all the time. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says that Jesus' divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has given to us his precious and magnificent promises. Now listen to this. Why has God given us his precious and magnificent promises? Peter says, so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption 
that is in the world by lust. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And because God has given us such exceedingly and precious promises, Peter says, well, you realize that because we can partake of his nature, we actually get to escape the corruption of this world marked by lust, this consuming desire for more and more, that selfish propensity within our hearts. See, you and I do not have to live like the world around us. We should be living in light of his return. See, what if, like Ravenhill and Edwards said, our prayer was, God, would you, would you stamp eternity on my eyeball? Would you give me these eternity kind of glasses that when I look at the world and when I make decisions and when I, when I think about certain things or when I behave a certain way, all of it is done in light of your return, in light of eternity. Well, with all that being said, can I encourage you to yearn for his return? I recently was doing a study and, and just looking at several passages in scripture of like, what does the Bible say we're supposed to be doing as we await for his return? And I came up with a bunch of, and this is not a complete list, but I just kind of jotted down a few of these. And I just want to give you a quick list of what does scripture say you and I are supposed to be doing in this season while we are waiting for his return. So let me just walk through these really quick. We are called to love and long for his return. So he's returning, but we should long and just love the fact that he's returning. 2 Timothy 4.8 says this, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Now, this is how the New Living translates that. It says, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So are we loving and longing for his return? There's this idea of being ready and watching. As Luke 12, 37 says, it says that the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself, speaking of the nobleman in the parable, will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. But what are the servants doing? They are ready and waiting for his return. Matthew 24, verse 44 says this, For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Uh, we are called, thirdly, to obey God's word. In Revelation 22, 7, again, Jesus says this, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We are to pray for his kingdom to come. In teaching his disciples how to pray, Matthew 6, 9-10, Jesus says this, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we should be praying for his kingdom to be fully here. We're called to proclaim the gospel, what we talked about in the last episode, that mission of the king. Romans eleven twenty five 25 says this, Paul says, for I do not want you brothers to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. So as you get into this, there's this idea that, that we should be proclaiming the message because why? Because until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, God will not return. So how should we be spending our time Woo! proclaiming that mission that the king has given us? We should also be focused. Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're called to be faithful. Revelation 2.10 says, uh, Jesus speaking to the church at Smyrna, he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So we're to be faithful, but we're also to be fruitful. As Luke 19 tells us, it says, now while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a noble, a noble man went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come back. Again, it's a parable about the coming of the kingdom. So what are we supposed to be doing in this season? Be fruitful, be engaged in the work that God has given us to do. We're also called to be holy and godly and expectant. As 2 Peter chapter 3 says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Let me read that again. Since all of these things are destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking, expectant for the hastening, the coming of the day of the Lord? Philippians 1.6 reminds us this. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, there is a way that you and I ought to live, that we should be yearning for his return. But in the midst of this, we're not passive. We're not just sitting on our couch, eating our our potato chips, waiting for his return. Rather, we are proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. We are faithful. We are fruitful. We are living holy, upright lives in this present age. I've had this thought for a while and I, I just, it, pon- it just pops in my mind all the time as I ponder this idea of the return of Christ. What would happen if when he returned, I was not disappointed or surprised? See, I, I think there are so many Christians today that live as if they'll be disappointed when Christ returns. They say stuff like, well, I, I want to be married first, or I, I want to visit this place, or I, I want to have this certain experience. But when we would rather not have Jesus return yet. Lord, could you just wait more? Just wait a few more years. Could you just, could you, could you just hold off for a little bit longer until I have this whatever? Do you realize that it only shows how little we value Jesus? And it shows that we don't actually see his infinite worth. See, if I really saw Jesus as he is, if I really had a passionate love for him, if I realized the reality of what he was doing, then Lord, you can interrupt anything in my life. I'm not married yet. That's okay, Jesus. If you want to come today, woo! You returning would be better than me getting married. Well, I haven't had kids yet. But Lord, if you came today, you coming would be far better than me having kids. Well, I, I, I've never gone to that certain you know, tropical island or, or that one location, or I, I never had that experience, or I never... But Lord, you are worthy and you coming is so infinitely more valuable to me than anything else that this, this human, physical, earthen realm could ever offer me. See, if you are kind of hesitant for God to return, if you were like, Lord, could you just be a little bit more patient? 
then I'd actually challenge you that you have a wrong view of Jesus. Because if you truly saw Jesus as he is in the, in the scriptures, then you would be longing, you'd be anticipating, you would be praying, Maranatha, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because you begin to realize how beautiful and phenomenal it will be when Christ returns. See, what, what if I lived in such a way that I had an expectancy and anticipation and hope for his return? See, I, I've often pondered, again, this idea that what would happen if I got so tight with Jesus? See, what would happen if I just became so intimate and close with him that when he returned, it wasn't a surprise? It wasn't a disappointment. It was just a, wow, man, Lord, I've been waiting for this. And I, I just look at everyone around me. Look, look, I told you, I told you. I said he returned. I, he's returned. Woo! See, what if, what if we wouldn't be taken by surprise? What, what if we wouldn't be disappointed? What if it would just fulfill the depth of the longing of our souls. See, that is the kind of relationship that we should be having with Jesus. See, this is not something to fear. This is something to celebrate. And, and whether, whether he returns and raptures us out before the tribulation, or whether he allows us the grace and gives us the grace to endure the difficulties, do you realize I, I am secure in him? And if he wants to get me out of here early, whoo, praise the Lord. If he wants me to endure through the tribulation, whoo, praise the Lord. I can trust him. And I really don't care how the end happens because I know that he is returning. He is what I'm longing for. He is what I'm longing for. He is the, is the satisfaction of the depth of my being. He is the, the craving of, of, of my soul. So I, I don't, I don't want to be surprised. I don't want to be disappointed. I, I want to be longing in an anticipation that he can return at any moment. In fact, I want to hasten his day. So I want to proclaim the gospel. I want to be praying, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. I just want to wrap up this whole series by reading Revelation 19. Uh, some sections from it. Revelation 19 is just this powerful passage about the coming of our king. And again, how he wants to come is, hey, I'm, I'm all in. But I am so longing for that day. I, I have, I've often said, and I don't know if it'll ever happen, but I've often prayed. I said, Lord, when you come and I see you face to face, whether it's because I've died and, and I see him or whether it's because he returns and I see him face to face. I, I said, Lord, I, you are king. You are Lord. And I will bow before you and I will worship you and I will throw everything at your feet because you alone are worthy but Lord, <laughs> before, I, before I hit the ground and before I worship and before I adore you as King of kings and Lord of lords, because he is, I, I, I've prayed, I said, Lord, could, could I just give you a bear hug first? And I, I honestly don't know if he'd allow me to do it. Because my guess is that the moment I see Jesus face to face, I probably will not be able to help myself. My knees will buckle and I will hit the ground and I'll just be like, oh, you are worthy. You are worthy. But I've often wondered, see, I want to be so tight with Jesus. I want to be so madly in love with Jesus. I want to so know him through his word. I want to spend time with him in prayer and just the rich richness of fellowship with him. See, he is my best friend. And when he returns or when I die and I see him face to face, whichever one comes first, See, I, I want to be so close to him. I don't want to be disappointed. I, want to, I don't want to be surprised. See, when, when I see him, I, I want to run to him and, and I'm going to start going down to my knees and I just want him to say, oh, Nathan, Nathan, hold on. And I want him just to oh, bear hug me. <laughs> Why? Because oh, though he is King of Kings and though he is Lord of Lords, oh, he's my best friend. 
And as my best friend, I just, oh, I just cannot wait for the day to give him a massive bear hug. And then I'll get on my face and worship and give him all the praise and adoration and glory. But I, I want you, I want you to listen to Revelation 19. Because as you listen to Revelation 19, you just you behold the majesty and the triumph of our king. He is not diminished in any way. And I would actually encourage all of us to have this attitude and this perspective every moment of every single day. So here's, here's what John records in Revelation 19. He says, After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great crowd in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belongs to our God. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his slaves, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the, the voice of a great crowd and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of many pearls of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sits on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, having a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. And being clothed with a garment dipped in blood, his name is also called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he, and he treads the winepress of the wrath of the rage of God, the Almighty. And he has on his garment and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow, that is our King. I don't know when he's going to return, but I know it's soon. I know people have been saying that for 2,000 years, but it just seems like all the biblical prophecies are starting to come into alignment. It just seems like things are just starting to caress. And regardless of when and regardless of how, can I just encourage you? The king is coming. The king is returning soon. So as his bride, let us make ourselves ready. Let us long and anticipate and pray for his return. Let us be fruitful. Let us be faithful let us live godly and holy and upright lives. Let me just leave you with this. With this. Titus 2 verse 13 says this, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is that blessed hope. The King is coming soon, folks. Let us anticipate and long for his returning. Well, I hope this has just been a blessing as we've been walking through the storyline of scripture. Again, we've been going through this so quickly. I mean, seven sessions through the entire Bible is doesn't really do it justice. But I hope it just inspires you to come back and read the word of God afresh, to see that Jesus is on every page of scripture and that he and he alone is worthy of all praise and adoration and glory. 
along those same lines, I just want to encourage you, if you'd like to take this idea even deeper, I have my own podcast, The Deeper Christian Podcast, and we've been walking through just seeing different glimpses of Jesus throughout every part of Scripture. And if that is an interest to you, I'd love for you just to join me on that podcast as we just take these ideas even deeper. Can I just pray that all of us would just live, not just declare, but to live the life that you and I are called to live in these coming days. So just join me as we close in prayer. Oh Lord, we just want to say that you are worthy, that you are good. And Lord, we thank you that you are returning soon. And so whenever that is, Lord, we as your people say Maranatha. Lord, we realize that we in and of ourselves cannot live the fullness of the Christian life outside of you. And so, Lord, we just ask for a greater empowerment of your spirit. Lord, Lord, we pray for a greater understanding of your word. Lord, Lord, we ask for greater intimacy with you in fellowship and in prayer. Lord, this world desperately needs you. And I pray that we as your people would not only stand boldly for Jesus Christ, that we would proclaim Jesus Christ, but that we would live the reality and the fullness of your word in our world. And Lord, we just want to say that we are that we are anticipating your return. Lord, don't, don't let us be surprised. Don't, don't let us say, Lord, wait a little, little bit longer. Lord, I pray that you would give us such an overwhelming understanding of who you are and your word that we just can't wait for your return, for you are worthy. And as Paul says, all things are from you and through you and to you for your glory alone. And so, Lord, I do pray that that our lives would be from you and through you and to you for your glory alone. Lord, I pray that as, as we come back into your word and as we read your word, I pray that you would open up our eyes and allow us to see the depth of your eternal purpose and plan, which is centered on Christ Jesus. May we see how you have unveiled yourself upon every page of scripture so that you can make yourself known. The God of, of the world, the God of the universe wants to make yourself known to us And so, Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. And thank you for your return that is coming soon. Lord, we just give you all the honor, praise, and glory. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.